Thank you for joining us for this message. Whether you're watching for the first time or simply catching up on a message you've missed, we are so glad that you're connecting with God's Word today. Our hope is that as you listen to the message, you will experience a real encounter with God. Please consider giving financially to support God's work through our ministry. You will find several options to do that by clicking on the word give in the menu on our website at kentwoodcommunitychurch.com. This is a pleasure for me because this is Reverend Veach for one more month, right? It's okay, you can come closer, I'm your dad. <laughs> and, uh, and they're trying to get us in the same camera, by the way. So anyways, in a month from now, you won't be Reverend Veach, you'll be Reverend what? Arbor, you can put your mic on there. Arbor. Arbor, yes. And I, and I, oh, there's somebody that's happy. That's our youth pastor who's marrying my daughter. How did that happen? We'll talk about that later. But nonetheless, thank you to Rhonda. That was a pleasant surprise. I did not know. She's here representing Global Partners, who she works for, a mission agency. And uh, I saw in the uh, preparation that she had asked my daughter to help us read scripture today. And so it's a pleasure to have her on stage with me to help open God's word to us. Can I get an amen, church? Out of respect for God's word, I'm going to ask you to stand. We're in the book of Jonah. We're going to read in chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. I will read the first verse, and then you will follow Michaela in the verses that follow. Hear the word of the Lord, Jonah 1, starting at verse 1. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Verse 2. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went aboard, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Verse 4. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailor shouted to their gods to help and threw cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep in the hold. Verse 6. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted, get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the, the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused this terrible storm. And when they did this, the lot identified Joseph Jonah as the culprit. Let's pray. I'm asking today, Lord, that the words of my mouth, meditations of our hearts, will be pleasing in your sight. And as the prophet Samuel prayed long ago, we pray now. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And all God's people said, you can have a seat. Thanks, Michaela. Well, this morning, if, again, if you're newer to KCC, this is our annual mission conference, and today is a, mes- a message that I would entitle, It's Time to Finish the Mission. It's time to finish the mission. Now, anybody that knows me, I get, well, let's just say this. There's always an urgency when I speak, but I, it gets jacked up just a little bit more when I talk about finishing the mission of Jesus because I believe with all my heart that this is why we still are here. If you want to figure out your eschatology, which is the word for the end times and when Jesus comes back, I say it's pretty simple. It's about finishing the mission, and then Jesus will come back. Can I get an Amen. I'm giving us a message today that is probably not an easy message. I say that in advance, but it's my responsibility to give you the message according to the gospel of Jesus. I will secondly say this to you. I believe as I have prayed 
for those of you online and those of you sitting in this room, I have prayed and I believe as I finish this sermon out that some of you in the balcony, some of you on the main floor and some of you uh, online, our God is going to speak to you specifically about physically saying, here am I, Lord send me to the nations. You may not know what that looks like. You may not know the next step, but I believe that God is going to call some of you. I know that because he's already spoken that. My responsibility is to share the word. Your responsibility is to respond. Can I get an amen? Do I have what it takes to finish the mission? Do I have what it takes to finish the mission? Some of us would say, you know what? Uh, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but I don't know the Bible well enough. I have too many struggles in my own life. I'm shy. I don't want to be rejected, and maybe I just don't want to go. Lord, I'll do anything, but don't send me to another country. What are your words? My story is pretty simple. I was raised in a small town in the state of Indiana. That was my world. I never thought anything beyond that world. It was playing baseball and going to B&K root beer stand. I thought that was the end of the earth. When I made it to the city of Indianapolis or the city of Fort Wayne, I thought, man, I am really daring. But it wasn't until I encountered Grace Anderson, 76-year-old lady, who understood that it was more than just knowing him, it was making him known. That she showed up at my house, one leg shorter than the other, and she saw me, and she knocked on the door, and she said, I want you to come back to church, because I had visited once. And she invited me back, and she not only invited me, she actually came and picked me up as a 15-year-old who wasn't able to drive. It was that invitation in my life that actually began the whole process of me figuring out what happened on July 28, 1982, where I was invited to a youth camp. And it was there that they talked about all the pretty girls and all the sports, and I was all about that. They never told me, Christians are so this way, that there was going to be Bible reading and there was going to be chapel services. And so I found myself at this camp. Sure, there were good-looking girls. Sure, there was sports. But for the very first time, I heard the message clearly of who Jesus Christ was. It so changed my life. Does this resonate with anybody? Do you remember that moment where you encountered the God that made you through Jesus Christ in such a way that the rest of your life you had to know, not only know him more, but make him known? That's what happened in me. Do you have that in your life? Do you need that in your life? Because I was prior to my 16th birthday, and all I knew is that I was so changed that from that point forward, I was willing to go and do whatever. Remember, not raised in the church, I didn't even ever hear about missions, never read an article, never had a biography, but I was so hungry for Jesus. All of a sudden, I started reading all about Jesus in the Gospels, and I sat in a service just like this, and somebody started talking about the nations. And, and I and remember, my, my, my boundary was my small little town in Indiana. And, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit spoke to me as he's going to speak to some of you. And I stood up, and God said, I want you to go. And I found myself in Central America as a 17-year-old for three months by myself. All the adventures that happened in that time. And it changed the course of my life. I knew that I knew that God had so changed me that I never, so you know this, I never aspired to be a preacher. I've never aspired to be a speaker. I've never aspired to be a missionary. All of those things happened because I so was passionate and am passionate that other people need to know what he's done for me, he can do for them. And it's taken me all over the place to do exactly that. 
Titles will come and titles will go. They won't remember you anyways. But at the end of the day, the eternal impact that I can, if there's just one life, that they would understand what he's done for me, he can do for them. And it was in that moment, in the country of Central America, in the capital city of Tagusagalpa, I couldn't speak one word of Spanish. And I guarantee you, I learned a few words when I was by myself. It's called survival. And it was in that that I started reading scripture. And in Genesis, I read in Genesis 12, when God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, and I'm going to make you a nation. The blessing is you're going to get to know me. This is basically summing up the Bible in a few sentences. I'm going to let you know me and I'm going to bless you. And then you are going to bless the nations. That's what it's all about. You're going to get to know me. Sound like our mission? You're going to get to know me. And then you're going to bless and make me known to the nations. And the rest of the Old Testament is what? A story of a nation that instead of making him known, became like all the nations. Sound very similar to today in our own situation with all that we're blessed with. And there was something inside of me that passioned me move forward. So I was like, Lord, whatever you want. Started to get into prayer groups. Dangerous thing to do. I double dare you to come this Friday. Dangerous to go to prayer groups. And when I was at Taylor University and then later at Columbia International University when I was in seminary, those prayer groups... We prayed for the nations. Didn't know anything about the nations. Never took a class on on geography. I learned geography by traveling. Never, never read it in a book. Never read about a culture. I experienced the cultures. But as we started to pray for the nations, guess what happened? We in those two groups, at those two universities, we were the ones that were changed. Because at the core and the heart of Jesus is the nations. That may be new news to some of you. This may be new news to you. It's not about you. It's about the church and it's about the mission of Jesus. And that's what he's calling us to do. And it changed me from that day forward. And I believe God wants to do it in our lives. But not only what he did experientially with me, I realized that it was, I also had to know what the Bible says. In today's world, Jesus is a cuss word. The exclusivity of Jesus is not accepted around us, at least in our culture. Is that that true? Yes or no? You got to know that you know why it is that we say, let's go to the nations. We go to the nation because scripture commands it, does it not? Scripture commands it. You don't believe me, Romans 10, 13. says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will what? Be saved. But how can they call on the one whom they've not believed? And how can they believe unless somebody tells them? And how can somebody tell them Tell them unless they are sent, as it is written, how beautiful the feet of those who bring good news. You still don't believe me? Jesus himself in Matthew 28 said, and then I want you to go to all the world and make disciples of all nations. The Greek word for nations there is ethnos, which means people group. Doesn't mean geopolitical boundaries of nations because inside nations, you have all these, some nations like India and China have thousands of people groups. And he says, I want you to go to all of them and preach the gospel, make disciples there. Go, he says. Now, here's the funny thing about Matthew 28. I said this Saturday morning in our men's Bible study. I said, when we look at Matthew 28, somehow the church has been upside down on this whole Great Commission go. If you've been raised in the church, here's how we've done it. We look at Matthew 28, and we see Jesus' word says, go. But how do we function as Christians? We stay, and we say, okay, God, we need some more evidence. We need, I need five more fleeces, so I'm going to stay until you prove that you want me to go. 
That's not what the scripture says. The scripture says what? Go, and you should only stay after he tells you to stay. You see the reversal? What a difference that would be if we truly took God's word for what it says. Still don't believe me. He says, when I tell you to go, Acts 1.8 says, and I will give you the Holy Spirit, and I will give you power, and you will be my witness where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the utter ends of the earth. The closer you get with Jesus, the more it will be less about you and more about the nations that you realize this is what is at the heart of God. This is why Jesus still has not returned. We live in a crisis moment in our country. May I say it clearly and loudly. In the last 24 months, the crisis mode the church has basically fallen into makes the attempt to fulfill the Great Commission all the more daunting. Because when you go into survival mentality, it becomes all about you. It doesn't become about the nations. But as I read scripture, and as I look at the history of the church, the tougher that it is, is the moment that the church should rise up all the more and get back on that which is the mission of Jesus Christ. As the pastor of this church, it will be my responsibility. I will give an account according to Hebrews 13, 17. As a leader, I will give an account. Were you an advocate for the nations? Or was it only about your church? Was it only about your city? It's about all nations, to all peoples, to the end of the earth. So as it gets tougher, that will be our moment as a church to rise up and watch God do the impossible. Can I get an amen? I think that's pretty good preaching, but you're all acting like you're asleep this morning. Come on now. I have three simple truths I wanna give you from this story that you are very familiar with called Jonah. The first truth that I would say to you is simple. God is calling. God is calling. Somebody say, here am I. If you believe it, say it again, here am I. Now that is a dangerous response to God is calling. We see as we look at this book called Jonah. You ever do this as you study scripture? Why is it there? What's the purpose of Jonah in the first place? It's very simple. The book of Jonah is simply God's way of showing us that he wants to use you and I to be his hands and feet to the nations. He doesn't need us, everybody agree? Uh, my first question in heaven will be simply this. Why did you choose to use us? Why couldn't you just do it yourself? Because we are really good at messing it up. But he's chosen to use you and I and God is calling. We read it in chapter one. He said to Jonah, go. Where's he sending him to? The place you don't wanna go. That's where it gets really scary for a lot of us. Jonah was called to the one location that nobody in Israel would want to go to, Nineveh, the capital city of Assyria. Assyria, the half-breeds, the ones that we despise. Lord, send me anywhere but there. He said, I want you to go there. And we see he is calling Jonah specifically to this. But here's what I want you to realize. He's always been calling. He called before Jonah. He's been calling since Jonah. In the Bible, he called Moses, be my deliverer, right? Be my deliverer for the nation of Israel. Bring them out of Egypt. What was Moses' response? I can't, I stutter. <laughs> Jeremiah, be my prophet to the nations. I call you to go, not me, Lord. I'm too young, I'm just a kid. Isaiah, be my prophet to the nation. Not me, Lord, I'm a cusser. What is your 
excuse. What do you tell God as you hear the call to go? What is the word you put out? Hear the word of the Lord, 2 Chronicles 16, 9. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout this sanctuary and online to fully support those whose hearts are totally his. He's waiting today. Who will hear the call of the Lord? As I already said, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel, it will be preached with or without you to all nations, and then the end will come. That's my eschatology. Finish the mission and go home. What do you say? That we would be able to be what God has called us to be because God is calling us exactly in that regard. Not only is it with biblical examples, but even historical. I remind you of a man named William Carey, who back in the late 1700s out of England believed that the Great Commission, Matthew 28, was relevant for their day and age, but his church in which he found himself believed that the Great Commission had already been fulfilled in the days of the disciples, and there's no need for us to go to the nations. William Carey heard God go, and in spite of the fact that his church says, you're crazy, and in spite of the fact that his wife even said, I'll go, but I don't want to, and in spite of the fact that he didn't have all of that support, and after working many years in the country of India without laptops and computers, many of his translations, as his biography reads, were burned in a fire and all the obstacles that he had. I don't know about you, but if I heard God say something to me and I followed through with it and all I had was disaster after disaster, I would start doubting that maybe I missed God's call. Does this make sense to anybody? But not William Carey. He lived by one mantra alone. Expect great things for God, attempt great things for God. As a result of one man, hear me out, one man, he is considered the father of modern day missions because one individual turned the entire tide of the global church to actually say the gospel is for everybody. It's pretty powerful. God has always been calling. Now, let's make it a little closer to home, historically speaking. There were three young adults, teenager-likes, who started praying for the nations. And as they prayed, a, winter, a storm came. They dove into a haystack. It's today known as the haystack revival because the spirit of God fell on them. And after, this is the truth in our country, and after that moment of that praying and that spirit of God falling on them, they started the very first mission conference in our country in Mount Hermon, Massachusetts. Two speakers were A.D. Pearson and D.L. Moody. And at that conference, in that time, we were starting at that moment, 20,000 young people stood up and said, here am I, Lord, send me. And the mission movement as we know in America was birthed at levels we'd never seen possible. The average lifespan, catch this going, the average lifespan for our American people before us, in your age bracket, the average lifespan was six months. Said goodbye to mom and dad if they survived the ship trip over to the continent of Africa. They packed their belongings in their coffins, knowing they would never return. Now you know that you know that you know that you believe if you live that way, does this make sense? I said this would be a hard message. But in our history, back in America, when they heard of a comrade who died, did the church back up? No. The next young person stood up and said, here am I, send me. I marvel at this. Are we any different than those who've gone before us? Do we believe this gospel this much that when we hear God say go, we'll go? The question is not whether God is calling. The question is, are you and I listening? In my own life, after that trip in 
Central America in 1987. I found myself in South America, in Colombia. Back then, it was a pretty dangerous place. I've said a few of the situations I experienced there. But let me say clearly, it was there as I was going through those incredibly difficult moments as a single college student that God gave me my life verse. I believe it was the life verse for the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul, when he was about ready to die in Acts chapter 20, all of his buddies, just like KCC, they said to Paul, stay here in Ephesus. <laughs> the word is out. If you go towards Jerusalem, they will kill you. Stay here in Ephesus and you're gonna do great things for God. Don't be so daring. Don't be so radical. Stay here with us. And Paul said these piercing words while I was in Colombia, pierced my heart, has pierced my heart to this day. And he said this to them, right to them who he loved. By the way, he loved the people in Ephesus. He said this, my life verse, Acts 20, 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Period. Period. And we know the story, Paul did go and Paul did die, but the church marched forward, did it not? I wonder today, what's our, what's our response gonna be? From that experience, obviously my wife and I ended up in the Middle East for 10 years. We just didn't wake up one day and say, oh, let's go to the Middle East. It was all of this process of hearing God, knowing what he said to do. But in the story here, we have an example from Jonah. When God called, what did Jonah do? Jonah ran. He ran and not only did he run, he ran in the opposite direction. He tried to get on a boat to get away from God, did he not? How many of you today who can hear my voice are running from God? Sure, you didn't get on a ship and you're not doing it that way, but you're really good at running and you're the only one in your heart knowing you're running. You still come to church, you still say amen, you still read your Bible and you're still a good Christian but you know that God may be calling you to something and you're doing everything you can not to hear that silent or that small voice of the Holy Spirit saying, this is what I want for you. God is calling us today. James 4, 17 says this, anyone who knows what they ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Say it again, anyone who knows what they ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. That's called the sin of omission. That means once you know what God wants you to do, you need to do it, and if you don't do it, you're actually sinning against God. If he's calling you and you stay where you are, you'll be the most miserable person in the world, whatever that means in your life. He's saying to all of us, keep hearing me and know my call on your life. God is saying, go. He's saying that to the church today. It's gonna to look different for all of us, but nonetheless, he's saying, go. The second thing that I would say to you from this joy, not only is God calling, the second thing is obedience is required. Obedience is required. Somebody say obedience. obedience. Say it again, obedience. obedience. And I'll say it as clearly as I can. I'm calling you today to radical obedience. Obedience that could cost you something. Let me just say it clearly, obedience does cost. If any preacher is trying to sell you something other than that, it's not the gospel according to Jesus. But it will be worth it you wanna have life to its full? John 10, 10 said, I have come that you can have life to its full. Full life happens when I obey whatever it is he wants for my life. And here's Jonah who gets in the opposite direction and in his disobedience, here's the amazingness of God, in his disobedience, verse 16 happens where the lot fell on him and he tells them what? Throw me overboard in the middle of the storm. 
Question, if Jonah would have said yes in the midst of the storm, hey God, I'll go to Nineveh, do you think the storm would have stopped? Yes or no? Yes or no? Yes, the storm would have stopped. But he was so disobedient, he would rather die than obey God. Throw me overboard. And the crazy thing about it is he couldn't die. He couldn't die. And the, and the amazing thing about God, it says in verse 16, in his disobedience, being thrown overboard, the storm stops, and all these heathen sailors now make commitments and vows to Jonah's God in the midst of his disobedience. Which tells me God's gonna win even if we're cantankerous as his followers. That's my grandma's old word, cantankerous. All right? And then Jonah finds he can't die and he's in the middle of a big fish. Go figure that out. And finally he, say, he says, okay, God. And the fish vomits him out. And then what we see in chapter three, verse two, God gives Jonah a second chance. I wonder in this room and those online, you need a second chance today. You're listening to me today and you're like, well, Mick, you don't know what I've been in. You don't know what I've done. You don't know my attitude. That may be true, but I want you to know I serve a God not only of second chance, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, tenth chances. That's the God I serve. Anybody with me? And he says to him again in 3-2, Jonah, will you go for me? Obedience costs us something. I stand here today, 55 years old. My story is pretty simple. I stand here as your lead pastor at KCC simply because of obedience. It didn't happen one and done. It happened every single step of obedience. From when I first came to Christ and didn't know the Bible and I started sharing Jesus with all my friends in my high school, didn't even know a verse, but I just wanted them to know what Jesus did for me could do for them. Something started to birth in me. Fast forward to college, all that happened in that life, in that moment in my life where I was sharing the gospel. Fast forward where my wife and I are in the Islamic world in the Middle East. We are there during 9-11 where the United States ambassador is telling me to alternate my routes simply because I'm a public figure there and as a result, we don't know who the bad guys are and who the good guys are. So every single day I left my house, I didn't know if I literally I would be taken, kidnapped or not. But it was in that step of obedience when God was saying clearly to my wife and I, you will not evacuate. You will stay here with your small children. I will protect you. You will be successful. And that step of obedience enabled us to see 12 house churches birth, leaders locally raised up, and a new generation of missionaries spread throughout the region of the world. What is your stories of obedience? And even going to Detroit to plant a church, to leaving Detroit, which we love, to stand here today, you don't get to choose your mission. He chooses it for you and you simply say yes. And when you and I say yes, that makes all the difference in the world. I'm reminded of the old hymn, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but what? Trust and obey. It will cost you something. There is a cost. Jesus warned us, did he not? He said, if you wanna follow me, you need to pick up your cross, die to yourself and follow me. I have a mission for you, obey me in the good and in the bad. Even as we served for those years overseas, there was a cost on us. I stand before you, you don't see it, 
this many years into ministry, some from the time I was a teenager, I just looked today uh, in my office as I was praying for you, and there's this little plaque that means the most. It's only this big. Hear this out, young people. I was 17 years old. And I don't know how this happened, but I was flown from Marion, Indiana to uh, Maryland. And I did a youth retreat for a youth group at 17 years old. Scared to death. Didn't know how to preach. Nobody trained me. But that's just the kind of way I've been living my whole life. I just kind of jump in and try to figure it out. And they actually gave me this little plaque at the end of the weekend. And it still means the most. They actually called me back then Mickey, like my son. They called me Mickey Veach and gave me this little plaque. And I believed in that moment, as I look at that, that that was the thing, that obedience continued to allow me to know what God has called me. I'm reminded of Samuel Lamb, which I've shared with you before, a hero of mine who's with Jesus, Chinese pastor who spent many years in prison for sharing the gospel in his homeland. And as I met him after he'd been in prison 20 plus years, he was preaching the gospel to 1,600 people in his house above a police station. <laughs> obedience, he was like, he feared nobody. You know what he understood? He understood Jesus' words. Do you like Jesus' words when he said, don't worry, Matthew 10. Don't worry what they can do to you. You ready? They can only kill you. He did say that. Worry about the one that can send you to hell. That's my paraphrase. Put it into perspective, my friends. And I believe today this radical obedience I'm calling us to here we are in this topsy-turvy moment called the history in modern day of the church. But let me just tell you, the church was birthed by the blood of the martyrs. Do you know that? They didn't retaliate. They didn't go to war. They continued to lose their lives and the blood of the martyrs. Revelation 6, 9 says the blood of the martyrs. They cry out, when will we be vindicated? You read it in scripture. And the church was birthed at this incredible. Who would continue to live this kind of message when everybody's being killed for it? The people that actually believe it. The people that actually believe it will live it to the very last breath. The rest of you all, you're like the people that build your house on the sand. And when the storms come and it's not on the rock, your house will fall with a mighty crash. I'm here to declare to you today about obedience, just like the early church was birthed at the blood of the martyrs. Not gloom and doom, but I will say this. I believe the end of the church, the baton is being passed to us. And we will experience the same thing at the end of the age as the beginning of the age of the church. It may be us, but we have to be ready. And it is in those moments, my friends, that God will give you, mark my word, God will give you exactly what you need in the moment that you need it. He will. He'll give you exactly what you need. But if you play it safe, if you live in the, 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 uh, the whole lackadaisical, complacentness of the church in general, you're the one that's gonna struggle. You're the one that's gonna try to figure it out. But if you get out of the boat and you are a water walker, it's in that moment that everything makes sense. Obedience will lead us to people that look different than us. Obedience will say everybody's welcome here. Obedience will make us drop the stones and say everybody can come here and belong before they believe. Can I get an amen? The key point about obedience is this. Jesus calls us to obey in all areas of our lives. The last and final point is simply this. Not only does God call, not only do we have to obey, but then the result of this is this. Number three, God turns impossibilities to victories. God turns impossibilities to victory. Can somebody say victory? victory. Somebody say victory. victory. 
anybody here today that can hear my voice? Are you facing an impossibility? Raise your hand if you got something in your life that's saying, I need God to stand up and show up and show out. Anybody, anybody, is there any, am I the only one that needs that? Does anybody else need God to show up? I'm here to declare to you, as he calls and as we obey, he will change those impossibilities to victories in our lives. I'll take you back to the story. He does go to Nineveh. He is the worst, this is my interpretation. He is the worst preacher of all preachers. He's not even there for the right motive. He's there because he doesn't like a fish. And he really wants the wrath and judgment of God to fall on the nation. But because he can't die, I can hear him. He's walking through Nineveh. Repent, repent. You can all go to sleep right now. Nobody needs to say amen. Go ahead, stay on your phones. Just come on, order your, your lunch. Come on, just don't listen to me. All I gotta do, and what does it say in 310? The entire city, from the king to the lowest, poorest person, they all turned and repented to Jonah's God. That's an impossibility. But that's what God wants to do in that moment, is it not? He wants to do the things that are impossible to make them possible in our lives. I need to call a man and a woman today that's willing to believe God can do the impossible. I need Joshua's and Caleb's that are willing to march into the promised land where everybody else says, we can't do it. The odds are impossible. They're giants. We're grasshoppers. We need to go back to Egypt and be slaves. I need somebody to rise up and say simply a lie. It's not the truth. Regardless of what you see, regardless of what you feel, I am here to declare to you today that our God is saying to us what seems impossible is an opportunity for the King of Kings to rise up and show out and the glory of God to be revealed. That's some good preaching, my friends. So we as a KCC wanna see impossibilities become victories. Many of you will not be called to serve in another land, but some of you are. For those of you who are called locally, we we have a vision that in fact, all nations can be here in this place. Did you hear me? All nations are welcome here. I actually have people who will not attend our church because we sing songs in other languages. Well, go to the homogeneous unit and sing your songs. But one day in heaven, you'll have to figure it out. Is that, is that too hard? Is that too deep for you? How many believe that the gospel and the cross is powerful enough that we don't have to wait for heaven to worship with people that don't look like us? That it's okay that Pastor Brandt can't speak Beatrice's name that is out there. Pastor Brand, you don't have to worry about it. I can't produce, pr- uh, pronounce anybody's name when I'm doing baptism. I sweat bullets because I can't even do people that are from the America. I can't pronounce their name, so who cares? Right? We give grace to one another, do we not? Right? We give grace to one another. So we're committed to locally. Woodfield, our next door neighbors. Lots of immigrants from all over Africa. Streams of hope just down the street. Friendship house, a Muslim center that we can have meals with people that are different than us, hand to hand. God willing, we're gonna have short-term mission trips in the next year that you can go and see and see what God is going to do. We are going to be a house for the nations. If I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. When we say multi-ethnicity at KCC, it's not a black and white thing. It's a house for all nations of the world thing. 
for all people. But he's calling us to see the impossible happen. And the impossible is that today, there are 40% of the world, I don't know if this even grips you, 40% of the world has never heard the name of Jesus one time. 3.2 billion people. Who's gonna stand up for them? Do they not value in the sight of God? Are they not created in the image of God? How are they going to know unless somebody tells them Romans chapter 10? Who's being willing to stand up and say, here am I, send me? May God help us to truly look beyond ourselves and understand we have this actually before us today. And it's not limited to America. I can take you to the underground church in China and they have created what they call Back to Jerusalem Movement. And the back, you can Google it. The Back to Jerusalem Movement is the goal. They will send out Chinese followers of Jesus all the way through that region of the world to Jerusalem. I can take you around the world and you will see the South Korean church sending out masses of missionaries like we've never seen before. The Brazilian church sending out missionaries like, no, like never before. We are now at a moment in history that although the, we have the technology, we have the money, the one thing that we lack is the commitment to have the ability to send our sons and daughters because we believe this so much. How many of you are afraid that your daughter or your son would actually live somewhere else? I'm here to declare to you that will be the worst thing to do is to hold them tight to you and miss out God's call on their life. I respect my mom so much more all that I put her through for these years. She all, her one statement was always, you need to follow the one who called you, even though mama struggles very dearly. You following me? God is calling us today to be this church, a new generation that are committed to stand up and say, Lord, here am I, send me. If I'm the only one like William Carey, so be it. In a moment, I will call you out. There may be zero respond. There may be one respond. It doesn't matter at the end of the day because you're the one that will stand before God the Father. You're the one that knows what is happening inside your heart. I'm responsible to give you the call and the challenge to do what God wants you to do. D.L. Moody says this, the world is yet to see what God can do through the man or woman that is completely his. The world is yet to see what God can do through that man or woman that is completely his. I don't know about you, but I wanna be that man. I wanna be completely committed. I may not have all the bells. I may not have all the whistles. I may be the one with the only the one talent. But I don't care whether I have one or five. What I care about is am I listening? Am I responding to what God is calling me to? Can somebody say amen to that? I will repeat William Carey, expect great things from God, attempt great things from God. And here's the beauty of all of this, my friends. Revelation 7, 9 says we win. We win this thing. And you're like, well, what does Revelation 7, 9 says? And on that day, every, every ethnos, every tribe, every language, every people group, they will be there. And I'm not talking about universalism. I'm talking about people who bow their knee to Jesus and say, I believe you as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. They're all gonna be there so numerous, it says we won't be able to count them. It's my responsibility for you to get a feel for what this is gonna be like. Look around, see the flags. They're not just flags, they represent masses of people who have yet had the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. 
And the prophet Isaiah, he clearly said this. Isaiah, will you go for me? Whom shall I send? Who will go for me? And one individual stood up in fear, in unknownness, said, here am I, Lord, send me. Not knowing what that meant. Not knowing where does that mean? Where do I go? I'm just saying, here am I, Lord, send me. Do you remember Abraham in Genesis 12? Hey, Abraham, leave your family. Leave your tribe. Leave your village and go. Where, Lord? I'll show you. Go. How many of you be excited about that today? Just be willing to go, and then I will fill in the blanks there. My wife was young. She was a child, seven years old, when she was called into mission work. And God weaved this tapestry of her going on short-term trips. And all of a sudden, in her hometown of Port Huron, Michigan, this crazy dude who just got out of seminary would intersect with her. When you say yes to Jesus, I used to think, well, I will never be married. Number one, I gotta find a Christian. That's hard in the first place. Number two, they gotta be called to missions. That really narrows it down. And number three, they gotta be called to the most difficult places of the world where they may lose their life. Now you just went, whew. But in that obedience, there was my wife. You're trying to tell me that I don't serve a God that does the impossible? He does the impossible. God makes the impossible possible. So here's the most important part of today. You are either a goer or you are a sender. You don't have any other options. And I'm talking about internationally. We're all called locally, right? To be the hands and feet of Jesus. Some of us need to begin to say, here, my Lord, I'm open to you to send me. But the rest of you, how are you doing about being a sender? A sender does praise for the nations. How long has it been since you prayed for our missionaries? Do you even know who they are? How long has it been since you prayed for the unreached peoples of the world? Number two, you don't only pray, you give. Not just to your tithe to your local church. In a moment, you'll get a chance to do, you got a car coming in, faith promise that I'm gonna, I'm gonna give up something. I'm gonna give up Starbucks for a year and I'm gonna use all that money for, the, for something that really matters. Because I don't have a lot of money, but I will sacrifice for something for the gospel of Jesus so we can support more missionaries. Does this make sense? And even though KCC has struggled financially, I've said to the elders board, I've said to the staff, we will continue to give those monies to reach people for Jesus because it's the right thing and God's blessing and anointing will depend upon a church that is focused on finishing the mission. If you believe that, can I get an amen? You either are a sender or a goer. I will talk to the senders in a moment. Now I'm gonna close and I'm gonna address those of you who God may be saying, who will go for me? Whom shall I send? And you have to respond, here am I, Lord, send me. Bow your heads with me. Oh God, this is an incredibly important moment. And I've been a little scared about this moment for a whole week and then plus some. But I'm asking God that you would truly have your moment. I know that there are people online and there are people in this sanctuary who truly love you and their heart is beating right now because you're already working. Some of them are teenagers. Some of them are empty nesters. Some of them are families with young kids. Melanie and I had a two and one year old when we left. And you're calling them to begin to explore, just like Abraham, just like Isaiah. Lord, here am I, send me. I don't know what that means. I don't know where that's at. I'm just willing. 
I pray now, Holy Spirit, you would have your way. Look up this way. Do not check out on me. I've given the message that God gave me to give you. Now the responsibility is yours. But I wonder, those who can hear my voice, if there's yet a William Carey, with all the odds against you, you're saying, man, my heart has now been broken for the nations. God, hear my. Is there a man or is there a woman that can hear my voice, that your heart is being stirred, and you need to rise up out of your seat without all the details and come here and kneel? Why? Because if you can't physically do that here in front of the people that would cheer you on and support you, you'll never say yes out there. This is your moment. I've not made it easy. It costs something. But for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, I've never been more alive when I keep saying yes to him. Wherever that means, whatever that looks like. Some of you are already scared to death and say, okay, I'll love Jesus to a point, but not all the way because he's gonna make me go to Africa, live in a hut, and I don't wanna go there. Here's my response. I can't tell you that God won't tell you to go to Africa. I can't tell you that he wouldn't tell you to live in a hut. But I can tell you this. If you run like Jonah in the comfort of your own place, you will be the most miserable follower of Christ. God demands your obedience. So here I stand, Lord, have your way. Is there anybody here that hears my voice that's willing to rise up with God and everybody else to see them and say, I don't know what the future is, but count me in. Here am I, Lord, send me the possibility of serving overseas. And if that is you, you need to get up from the balcony, you need to get up from the galleries or down here in the main floor and come and kneel here right now. I've done my job, now is there one person willing to come and kneel? Now is your time. This is your time, anybody. Amen. Amen. Shake your hand, buddy. Amen. Anybody else? I'm still waiting. Your heart is beating, and you're saying, I don't know what this means, but I am saying, Here am I, Lord, send me. I don't want to just exist. I don't want to continue to be uh, complacent. I want my life to count, and I want to hear God's call on me. Amen. Anybody else? This is way more than I thought, because I hope you all understood. I, this, this wasn't an easy call. You got that right. I wasn't, I wasn't picturing it with a, uh, an easy road, but a road that is so fulfilling. Can you guys kneel for me if you would? If you're able. Melanie, just like when you were this age, God calls the children, says, here am I and send me. Anybody else before I pray? It's a pretty powerful moment in the life of our church. We're committed to come alongside these folks. Can I have some people come behind them?
And if you're online and you want to respond, would you just type in there for our host, here am I, send me. Just type that in there if you're able. Our host will engage you. Pastor Debbie just told me three people online just said, here am I, send me. Would you extend your hands if you're able? Let's pray. Come on, church, start praying. It isn't just me praying. Go ahead and start praying out in Jesus' name. Go ahead, church. Start praying out loud in Jesus' name for these people. Come on, pray. Pray for them. Get down with them. They can hear you and bless them in Jesus' name. Speak out God's blessing, anointing upon each of them, that it would be real and sincere, that it would go into deep, into the fullness of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Oh God, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, ten people who said, here am I, send me. May the nations be reached through these ten people. May the legacy grow. May hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of people be reached because of their steps of obedience. You said to us clearly in scripture, if anyone leaves mother and brother and father and family for my sake they will receive a hundred times more not only in this land but in the days to come may they truly experience what this means in their life so right now oh god hear the cry online and presently here in this church may we truly experience and be a church that is on mission for your glory and for your for your mission today we pray this in Jesus' name. Go ahead, church, one last time. Pray an anointing. Pray a blessing in Jesus' name on all of these 10 individuals that they may truly be all that God wants them to be today. May they experience it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Can you put your hands together for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords today?